these slightly different worship experiences. And excuse me, I have to remove Jack's notes here. Um, that Jack, he's just always leaving his stuff here and there. Anyway, I want to invite you to join me in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your word this morning. We pray that as we do that, as we immerse ourselves in your word, that you would find us to be responsive to the truth that we hear there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, uh, Pastor Laura and I and uh, my stepson and uh, my father-in-law went to Cooperstown in New York to the Baseball Hall of Fame. We happened to be there the year that uh, Jim Rice, who was a Red Sox left fielder and designated hitter, was inducted into the Hall of Fame, and uh, and it was it was a pretty amazing thing. The 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 Hall of Fame itself is quite spectacular, and if you're a baseball person like uh, we are, uh, it's a place to just have a good time. I gotta say though that that experience was the one and only time watching Jim Rice got in being inducted into the Hall of Fame. One and only time I've seen my father-in-law shed some tears. It was a really kind of interesting. Anyway, there are other kinds of halls of fame out there. Every major sport has a hall of fame, and there's halls of fame for some of the silliest things you can imagine, but nonetheless, they're out there. Why do we have those halls of fame? Because we tend to value, people tend to value, our culture tends to value things based on the way they perform or how they appear. That's what we do, right? We judge based on what things look like. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Bible says this, people look at outward experience, or excuse me, outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. We were on the, the Sunday school hour a little earlier this morning, and, and several of the ladies were commiserating with each other about not having access to their hairdresser at this point in time, and I get that that's a big deal, for people like me, it's not quite as important. But see, we have this thing about appearance, how we look. And if we're going to evaluate based on externals, on how things look, then, you know, uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, is it's not a bad idea. Jim Rice was a great choice. But what if God was looking for a Hall of Famers? What, what would he be looking for? Part of the answer to that question is in the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 11 that Pastor Laura read for us this morning. And, and that's a major part, a major place where we can find some of what God looks for in his Hall of Famers. And it can be summed up in one word that was repeated over and over and over again in chapter 11. That word is faith. And we as God's people in our day and time, we are called to imitate God's Hall of Famers of the past and live by faith. Let me repeat again Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 2. And again, if you have your own Bibles in front of you, please open them up. If you're watching on the website live stream, there's that Bible translation opportunity for you to the right of the picture. Please use that. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This verse 2 is what the ancients were commended for. I happen to know one of the scholars who's part of the NIV Translation Committee, Dr. Craig Blomberg in Denver Seminary. And one of the earlier um, editions of the New International Version, verse 1 sounded like this. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now the words in the more uh, contemporary version, they mean the same thing. It's this, it's this sense of, well, what is faith? The verse 1 explanation of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 is not exhaustive, but man, it's enough to go on this morning. What is it 
being sure of what we hope for, sure of our, our hopes, certain, confidence. Not, um, you know, when you wish upon a star, vague, wishful thinking. But the kind of faith that the Apostle Paul talks about in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 20, when he's describing Abraham, he says, Abraham was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Many of you have flown on airlines, airplanes. I'm sure most of you probably have at some point or another. And it's interesting to me about airline flights and this whole question of faith, right? Because we have all kinds that we express by getting on the plane. We express all kinds of faith in people that we have never met before. We don't know anything about them. Pilots, mechanics, air traffic control uh, air traffic controllers. We put faith, in fact, in the uh, aerodynamic principles of, of flight. And most of us probably don't even know what that means. But we, we, we put faith in those things that we cannot see to get us to places that we want to go. Now, my contention this morning is we probably have, ought to have at least as much faith in God as we do in, you know, people who fly us around the country when we're able to do that freely. So this faith or this confidence becomes, in verse 2, a source of commendation. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. This is what the ancients were commended for, their faith. Not all the particular accomplishments necessarily on their resumes, although some of them are listed and some of them are spectacular, but confidence, this faith that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. And then the writer of Hebrews goes on in chapter 11 of of the, of the letter to the Hebrews, and he gives us what I call the Faith Hall of Fame. And that phrase isn't original to me. I don't know who first said it, but uh, the Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews chapter 11. So there's some examples here. Like in verse 7, Noah, faith to prepare for God's work. You get this? He built a boat when it was dry to prepare for when it would be wet. He didn't know ark. He didn't know flood. But God had called him to do this work to prepare for a day that was coming. God often calls people of faith to steps of preparation for what hasn't happened yet. Physical steps, relational steps, circumstantial steps, spiritual steps. In order to do what we have to, to do that, we have to reprioritize our activities to be focused on what God is doing. In the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says this. I've quoted this to you enough that maybe you remember this by now, but Jesus says, My Father is at work to this very day, and I too am working. And we can't forget in this Hall of Fame, this Faith Hall of Fame, Abraham in verse 8, faith to travel with God to an unknown place. Warren Wearsby, a Christian writer from years past, said this, Abraham marched off the map and did not leave a forwarding address. Uh, these days, we have all kinds of navigation aids, you know, and you have, if you have your phone, you've got the, the, the map, and if you've got GPS, you've got the GPS lady chattering at you. Uh, one time, uh, Pastor Laura and I were in the car, and she was operating the, the navigation stuff for me, and she turned on two different map systems, and they were talking back and forth to each other while we were going down the road. It was not exactly helpful in our journey. But you can... You can get all kinds of directions to, to where you want to go. And some of the directions that you can get, for example, way back in the last century, AAA used to publish what they called triptychs. 
if you were a AAA member, they would, you said, hey, I'm going from here to here. They would give you this whole outline of the entire trip, this overview of absolutely everywhere you were going to go and your beginning and your destination. Well, God is more like the GPS than like the AAA triptych because God gives us our next turn directions. He doesn't always give us the ultimate destination. He usually gives us what's coming next. I've told you this story before, but hey, um, you know, we're, we're doing this a live stream and you can't really stop me from telling you again, but I told you the story about us, uh, me going whitewater rafting uh, on the Zambezi River in uh, in Africa with some missionary friends. And as we were going down the river, um, there were crocodiles on the banks, on the rocks on the side of the river. And uh, first, of course, they had told us there wouldn't be any crocodiles because the river was running too fast. But there they were. And so I looked at our guide and I said, hey, what's the deal? And he said, don't worry. They won't move on us because we're going too fast. Well, I wondered what speed exactly we had to be at for the crocodiles to change their mind about coming after us. But nonetheless, they didn't. You see, here's the thing. I didn't know each bend in the river. I didn't know each step of the way on that trip, but I knew the guide. Abraham didn't know each step of the way on his journey, but he knew the guide. And if we know the guide, then next step directions are enough. People like Abraham, people of faith, follow God even when we don't necessarily know the destination, or even sometimes the very next stop. And then there was Moses in verse 24. Here's, I love this. He had faith to be different than his culture. He identified with God and not the power structure and enticements of his day and time. He could have been a Pharaoh. He had it all and he gave it up to eventually follow the Lord. Of course, he gave it up initially because he ran out of town because he had committed a capital offense. But nonetheless, verses 24 and 25, he refused the inducements of the day and he chose the things of God. These are specific acts of the will that we can take to turn away from what might attract us temporarily and turn toward what might fuel our spirit eternally. Moses knew these things that come to us later in the New Testament. He knew what Jesus said in John 15, verse 19, that we do not belong to the world. He knew what Jesus said in John 17, verse 14, we are not of the world. He knew what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we should not conform anymore to the pattern of the world. He knew what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, that we are strangers in this world. Back when I was in the military, we were issued a, a uniform called the Battle Dress Uniform, or BDUs, um, colloquially called camis. And there were, at least back in my day, there were different iterations of these camis for different environments. There was the woodland cami and the desert cami to help you try to blend in. I'm just worried, folks. Honestly, I'm worried that in our day and time, we have become cami Christians. We've become BDU Christians. We, we are way too good at blending in with our culture. And we want to remember also in verse 30, Joshua at Jericho. Joshua has a, an amazing story. But Joshua had faith to trust in God's, frankly, ridiculous plan. In Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, God gives Joshua the plan for the taking and the conquest of Jericho. And here's the plan. March around the city for seven days and blow some trumpets. That's the plan. 
Can you imagine hearing that for the first time and comparing it to the kinds of things that God had done before, that you had seen God do before? Parting the Red Sea, manna falling from heaven? No, now it's walk around the town, Joshua, and we're going to make the walls fall down. Now, I got to tell you, I've been in lots of military planning meetings. God's plan would never have passed muster in any one of those meetings. But see, God does not do business the way we do business. He does not do business the way we would we would plan to do business. His plan is usually radically different. And sometimes it looks crazy. And it always looks like it's impossible in human terms. And then continuing our tour, Rahab makes a, a guest appearance in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. She had faith to believe that God can work in and through those who are different in order to accomplish his purposes. She hosted the spies of the nation of Israel. These spies were the enemy. But, God, uh, but Rahab had heard about the amazing work of, an, of a mighty God, and she separated herself from business as usual. And by the way, her business as usual was being a prostitute. She separated herself from that business to become part of God's plan for the victory at Jericho and the future nurture of the nation of Israel. And look, look, look what God does with Rahab. Look what he does with this faith. Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, Rahab is in the direct line of the Savior, Jesus. But these folks, you know, in many ways, we look at these folks and we go, oh my gosh, these, have huge, these people have huge, spectacular stories. I could never do that. March through the Red Sea. Are you kidding me? I try to jump over puddles. But look what else happens in chapter 11. Look at all the ordinary folk in this Hall of Fame in verses 32 through 38. Or sure, there's some big names mentioned there like David and Samson, but there are a lot of other folks there who are nameless to us. But listen, personally known to God, really what the writer of Hebrews is saying is there are too many to name. And he's emphasizing the day-to-day faith that comes and operates in the regularity of our experience. And for some of these people here, for some of these people here, they paid the ultimate price for saying yes to God and no to the world. So, Unlike other kinds of Hall of Famers like Jim Rice and others, I thought about this the other day. I wonder if we did a comparison of Red Sox Hall of Famers and Kansas City Royal Hall of Famers. I wonder who would come out on top. I haven't checked that out, but I need to. Anyway, unlike those other Hall of Famers, what do all these people in Hebrews chapter 11 have in common? They have faith. So what does that mean for us? I think it means for us that it's time to be people of faith. Faith in God's provision and in his plans. I mean, look around. The world is a little crazy right now. But faith is confidence, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. In God's work, in our personal struggles, in God's work, in our relationships, in God's work, in our church life, in God's work, in our national health life. I really, 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 really think it's time for Christians to act like we really believe that God is at work. And if we struggle with doubt, and frankly, right up front, I struggle with doubt sometimes. I'm guessing you struggle with doubt sometimes. 
yeah, we read all these spectacular stories of these faith heroes in the past, you know, people who were sawn in two for their faith. Good grief. But if we have doubts, I think we can be reminded from our short trip through the Gospel of Mark, from chapter 9, verse 24, you remember the dad who brought his son to Jesus and his dad wanted Jesus to heal his son? And Jesus says to the dad, listen, if you believe, I'll heal your son. And the dad says this, and I love this because I hold on to this every single day of my life. The dad says this, I do believe. Lord, I do believe. But help me overcome my unbelief. Do you get it? The faith of these of these uh, Hall of Famers in Hebrews chapter 11, these were real people with real struggles and real doubts from time to time. Read their stories. Go back in the Old Testament and read their stories. But here is the deal. The real Jesus meets even the real need we have sometimes when we are faced with our own issues of unbelief. Extreme sports watching has become popular to do and to watch. I once participated in an extreme sport. I got on a Razor scooter at my brother and sister-in-law's home that belonged to one of my nieces. And I started downhill on this Razor scooter. And I, I realized as I was starting downhill and the scooter was gaining momentum that I had forgotten to ask one key question. How do you stop this thing? I didn't know there was a little brake pedal right behind me that I could have just stepped on. Didn't know that. So I'm gaining speed going down this pretty steep hill. And I figured, okay, I got to stop this thing somehow. The best way to do it is to kind of drift over to the side and kind of gently fall down in the grass. Unfortunately, between the road and the grass, there was some gravel. And when I went down, I slid on the gravel. I still have what Pastor Laura affectionately calls scooter scars on my hand. Well, that was just a little adventure. And I got a little scar for that. But I really think, I, I honestly think that God is looking for people of extreme faith for his grand adventure for us. And honestly, honestly, there's going to be some scooter scars along the way, probably. But we need those faith hall of famers. We need to be those faith hall of famers, to live a Christian life, an extreme Christian life. There's crocodiles out there. There's trouble out there. There's trouble out there. But the guide, Jesus, he knows exactly what he's doing and exactly where he's going and exactly where he's taking us. If ever there was a time for God's people to be faith hall of famers, I truly believe this is it. Pray with me. Father, thank you today for these reminders from the writer of Hebrews about the Faith Hall of Famers. Help us to be those kind of people, Lord, even when we don't believe. Meet us there with the need and bestow faith on us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.